So today we're talking to Paula. Hi, Paula. Hi. Or I would rather say welcome back. Uh, so we had a chat before about databases. And today we're going to talk about data structures. And I guess in our case, closure immutable data structures. And uh, I would say this would be sort of like a prelude to the workshop we are running at ClojureStream. So ClojureStream slash workshops. And there is one workshop that Paula is going to run, which is the data structures in Clojure. Um, so where do we start even this whole discussion about data structures and Clojure? Well, um, a lot of people who use uh, Clojure are unfamiliar with the types of data structures that Clojure comes with, like how they're built, why they're built the way they are, how they perform. Mm -hmm. um, and they're based on concepts which, you know, may not come up when a lot of people are learning programming. Mm -hmm. they, they show up in computer science courses, but then when we look at immutable data structures like the type that we have in Clojure, uh, this sort of material isn't always covered mm -hmm. uh, and it's out there to be read, but uh, it's possibly a little easier if someone can uh, take you through it and uh, help you learn how these structures are put together and why they're structured the way they are. Right. Yeah. So the workshop will be happening on 26th uh, of April. It's 8 a.m. Eastern. And if you'll be interested in checking it out, just go to closure.stream slash workshops slash data structures. And um, before we maybe dive into the immutable data structures that Clojure has, how about we try to like talk about the basic data structures and maybe, I don't know, why do we have them and what do they do? Yeah, well, I mean, the workshop is going to be starting with basic mutable data structures because mm -hmm. they're uh, a little easier to understand. But uh, understanding these data structures can be important um, from an algorithmic point of view. Mm -hmm. um, certain things are, are really suited for uh, for working. Certain algorithms will be very suited to working with particular data structures and not with others. Sometimes you need to go through an entire collection in order. Uh, other times you need to be able to look up collections really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just speed. We can also have interest in memory usage. Mm -hmm. uh, certain data structures will give you indexed data uh, really fast but take a lot of memory. Other data structures can get you uh, to your data nearly as quickly but take up less memory. Mm -hmm. um, so having an understanding of this, particularly when you're working um, with large amounts of data or when you need uh, good speed, mm -hmm. uh, can be really important. So, uh, you know, this is why I think that the topic is, uh, is an important one to understand, particularly as you're doing more advanced concepts in programming. But, um, you know, I think that all developers can benefit from understanding this. Right. Uh, so you mentioned three things, uh, the memory usage and the speed of access and speed of an update. Uh, and uh, how does this come together like enclosure and immutable data structures? Well, immutable data structures are um, a little bit of a difficult concept for many people to get their head around. It looks to many people as if you've created an entirely new thing mm -hmm. whenever you try to make a change. And from a, uh, from a programmer's perspective, that's fine, but it, if you were to really do it that way, it would have a major performance cost. Mm -hmm. um, just to make a small change to a vector or a map or something, uh, you would need to copy everything that you already had. 
So that would be a lot of memory usage. It would involve um, a lot of time just to traverse a, a data structure and copy it over. And that's not what happens. Uh, instead, we end up with a new structure which mostly borrows from the memory of the previous structure with only minor changes. And this gives us a lot of um, speed in the update, but it gives us the safety that we're expecting when we're in a functional programming language. And that's particularly important when we're doing um, multi-threaded programming, because when you're doing multi-threaded programming, often you need to lock your data structures in place so that something doesn't change a data structure out from under, under you when you're trying to access, access it in a different thread. And that has major performance implications and uh, complexity issues. And we can get deadlocks and we can have uh, bugs where things do change when you didn't intend them to. Mm -hmm. um, by having these immutable structures, we can get uh, good performance. We can have data that gets shared between threads uh, with a lot of safety. Um, and reasoning about the system uh, is much easier because we know what the data is at any point and uh, any data that changes are typically going to be the, the result of a function call. And so we look at this is the data that goes into the function, this is the data that comes out of the function, and we can reason about this really effectively. Mm -hmm. um, whereas when we have methods in typical Java, for instance, we see things change and the... Um, Methods don't necessarily have data that goes in and data that comes out. Instead, we have a state change. And uh, you know, 10 years ago or more, Rich Hickey was talking about um, the that paper out of the tar pit where state is really the, um, the, the source of complexity in right. so many software systems and... Uh, you know, moving into this functional paradigm where we have immutable data structures uh, helps us to escape that complexity. Right. So how does uh, Clojure, being functional programming language, uh, uses or how, how does it actually approach the whole functional data stru structures uh, problems? In other languages, when we have uh, uh, muta mutating operations like... I want to uh, add a new entry to a map and we mm -hmm. modify the structure of the map. Um, this is where we're uh, exiting from that functional paradigm. We have the state of a map gets modified as we do um, an insertion or a deletion or something. Um, if we want to do functional programming, we're looking to have referential transparency. That means that we can feed data into a function and get data back from the function. And for a particular set of inputs to the function, we will always get exactly the same uh, results from a function. And using data structures which get updated on us breaks that paradigm. If we want to stay within the functional programming a paradigm where we can reason about our data so much better, uh, then we want to avoid mutation as much as possible. We want to have the ability to say, here's data coming in and we've got new data coming out and we didn't change what came in. Mm -hmm. um, immutable data structures gives us that and it gives us that efficiently. Uh, you know, I've written Java decades ago where 
I would feed data in and I didn't want to change it. And so I would make a whole copy of it and modify the copy and return that. It works, but it's inefficient. Um, Closure has all of these things already done for you and done in a very efficient way. Um, and one of the beauties of the closure language is that not only are these data structures built in, they're part of the syntax of the language. So we're using them all the time without even thinking about it much, much of the time. Um, and that's a real power to the language. Um, you know, Scala, for instance, has similar sorts of structures in it. Uh, and you can go to the mutable versions if you explicitly ask for them. But generally in Scala, you're using immutable data structures similarly to Clojure. Mm -hmm. But it's not built into the language syntax like Clojure is. Mm -hmm. And we have um, this uh, terse uh, elegance <laughs> to, the, uh, to the way we're able to express ourselves in this language, uh, which takes full advantage of everything that I've been talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a, a very pleasant experience working with Clojure when we're working with these data structures. And, you know, again, I feel that understanding these structures is uh, key to becoming really proficient with using this language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so where do they come from? Where do, do where does the immutable data structures come from to closure? Like how? There's been a lot of research uh, into these structures over the years and the, I haven't really looked into the full history. I think it, the first I'm aware of was starting to come about in the 1980s. Um, it may have been earlier than that. I don't know. Um, but uh, someone named Chris Okazaki, um, did his PhD in this area and then wrote a book around it called Purely Functional Data Structures. And we see a lot of that work show up in the implementation of uh, Clojure. Mm -hmm. um, the, the textbook Purely Functional Data Structures, actually uh, everything's done in standard ML. <laughs> it's been translated into Clojure and it works a little bit differently. But um, the principles are there, um, but it's not entirely based on, on that one textbook, there's a whole lot of other things which Rich brought into, um, into Clojure. Like, for instance, the uh, uh, hash maps are built on uh, Phil Bagwell's, what is it, hash array mapped trees, that's T-R-I-E, um, which are an interesting data structure. So Clojure uses like sort of like this multiple sources of research to create its own data structure. It's not based on like one specific, I would say, paper or a thesis. When when it makes sense to pull in a different approach for something, yeah. um, then the core developers, and in particular Rich, uh, made those, those choices to go with the more optimized approaches. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily... Uh, a pure implementation of some of these things. Uh, there's a lot of um, work that's gone into implementation efficiency, mm -hmm. um, things to make the, the code a little more memory efficient, to make it a lot faster. Uh, it's not simply transliterating prior work to create closure. There's, a, there's a, quite a bit of original stuff in there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember reading a post somewhere, I think it was on Hacker News or somewhere, that actually uh, the first implementation of those data structures were uh, was done in Clojure. 
that this was like the first realized um, implementation of those theoretical ideas. And I think a lot of people gave Rich a lot of props for doing this. Uh, yeah, I mean, when it comes to Chris Okasaki's book, um, some of the things in there are, are not simply the data structures. There's other things as well, uh, like uh, laziness, which now we're not, you know, that used to be considered a, a major selling point behind closure. Mm -hmm. um, whereas these days we're not uh, focusing on laziness as much mm -hmm. um, and it's not considered as important a feature. Uh, but that came straight out of uh, Chris Okasaki's book as well, mm -hmm. the way that that's implemented. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so uh, there, there was a lot of stuff lifted out of there um, and... Uh, most of it has withstood the test of time. Mm -hmm. Right. So when we talk about data structures, I guess we can talk about this in the context of the workshop. What are we going to talk about? Which data structures are we unpacking? We have limited time for a half-day workshop, uh, and so we can't cover absolutely everything, but we're going to cover the basics behind um, some of the most important data structures in Clojure. Uh, I'm going to start with how to do array access, which should be straightforward for everybody, but mm -hmm. there may also be a couple of surprises in there about how Clojure works with arrays from the underlying system that it's built on, whether that be the JVM or um, .NET architecture or the, um, the JavaScript. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason for looking at arrays is because that's going to be the fundamental building block that will create everything else out of. Uh, the next thing to go to are trees. And uh, these are important. Uh, they give us uh, ordered uh, sequences mm -hmm. uh, when we need to be able to do fast lookups and they're quite efficient in memory. Um, from that structure, we're going to be looking at how to make trees immutable. Um, and then once we have a sense of how trees work, how trees can be, um, uh, you know, turned into these functional immutable data structures, mm -hmm. uh, we'll build on that knowledge to understand how closure vectors are built. Mm -hmm. um, I covered some of this in uh, the closure D um, presentation right. that I gave a couple of years ago. Um, and then from there, we're going to start looking at hashes. Um, we'll start with mutable hash sets mm -hmm. and how we can build uh, hash maps out of that. And then uh, from there, we're going to, going to build up uh, from everything we've learned previous to that during the day about arrays, about trees and vectors and see how all of this comes together to create uh, persistent hash maps and hash sets. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this is the implementation there is done uh, to implement Phil, Bagwell, Phil Bagwell's uh, hash array mapped tree. Right. But uh, if you have a look at everything that we will have done up to that point, then the implementation should become much more apparent. Right. And, um, mm -hmm. yeah. and this will be like hands-on, right? So there will be some parts where you will explain and then we are actually going to do, implement all of them live and then people will have certain exercises to like do and follow, right? 
Absolutely. Uh, all the way through, right up to the persistent hash maps, uh, that gets a little dicey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm thinking we may run out of time at the end of the day. Yeah. But uh, I certainly do anticipate that uh, people who make it that far through the course yeah. should be able to uh, implement this sort of thing for themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, it should all make sense. But, yeah, at every step along the way before moving on to the, the next phase, yeah. I will ask people to implement these things for themselves, uh, where the solutions are typically going to be just uh, functions which are only a couple of lines long. Yeah, right. I mean, in general, data structures are usually pretty dense topic, right? You still you still need to have some certain like basis uh, to, to join. So who's this workshop mainly for? Um, we have a lot of people who program Clojure who didn't necessarily come to it from a computer science background. Mm -hmm. um, computer science teaches us things like trees and hashes, um, not necessarily in the immutable structure, but um, but those basics are there. Mm -hmm. And um, for anyone who's come into programming through a different path, mm -hmm. uh, for instance, with me, I was an electrical engineer and they taught us a couple of basics, but I didn't know how hash maps worked when mm -hmm. I started programming professionally. And uh, I had a friend teach me how that sort of thing came about. And um, yeah, I'm hoping to help impart this knowledge to people who've, uh, who are competent with closure, but don't necessarily understand how all of these things come together. Mm -hmm. how the data structures themselves work or how immutability within those data structures works. Right. So I guess, uh, can we say that this is for like, I don't know, uh, mid-level people knowing Clojure, knowing JVM that want to really understand in and outs of those data structures in Clojure? I think so, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, people who are relatively comfortable with Clojure already mm -hmm. but aren't familiar with how these data structures work. Right. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned one thing at the beginning, which was the performance. Um, so how does all of this tie together for closure when we're using those uh, data structures and how those, uh, per, because you mentioned that understanding the data structure will help you also better to uh, write more performant applications. Um, in, yeah. Sure. Um, these data structures are quite efficient in memory and um for individual operations, they can be efficient in speed. Mm -hmm. But there are still expensive elements of this. So if I want to put a million items into a vector, mm -hmm. um, you know, any minor uh, uh, speed impediment along the way is going to multiply out. Um, Clojure has been built in a way to uh, make this work uh, really effectively and efficiently while still giving us the the benefits of immutable data structures. Uh, one way that that's done is we have um, what's called transients mm -hmm. where we can get a hybrid approach between immutability and mutability where we can say, let's take the immutable data structure and temporarily make parts of it um, mutable. Mm -hmm. So we can update just those parts until they're full and at that point we can say um, we'll, we're going to lock that in and we're going to add a new part to the, um, to the overall structure and, you know, uh, 
So for some of the steps, we, we add something and we will actually do a mutation. And in other steps, we will um, uh, add something and instead of a mutation, we'll get the standard immutable operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this gives us the uh, much of what we would expect out of an immutable system, but we get much better performance. Um, so... It would actually be a cost if you if you tried doing this with two or three elements, but uh, when you've got hundreds or thousands of elements, you can say, "I want to temporarily make this thing mutable." You can start putting lots of data into it. Uh, some of the steps will be using standard immutable operations. Some will be using uh, mutating operations. Uh, but at the end of it, when we're done, we say that we want this transient thing to come back to persistent mode, so it's completely right. immutable once more. And uh, overall, we end up with a significantly faster operation. Right. Um, unfortunately, this often causes some confusion for people who encounter it mm-hmm. uh, and think, well, if I make this thing transient, I can now fill it with data and I'll... Uh, um, and I'm just mutating it in place. And that's actually not what's happening. Uh, a couple of steps will be mutating in place and then you'll hit one of these mutating operations and you end up with a new data structure being returned and the, um, and the, the original transient uh, has not necessarily been updated. And people think that, uh, you know, that their first few insertions into a, a transient vector, for instance, worked. But once they get beyond a certain point, suddenly they can, um, the next insertion doesn't do anything. And that's because they, um, you know, transients are not giving you a thing that you're modifying in place. They use that in-place modification where it makes sense for them. Mm-hmm. But in general, you need to be updating transients exactly the same way that you, you think you would be for a... Yeah, uh, for these mutation operations. Yeah. Um, but transients only make sense when you're operating on, on really large amounts of data to go into data structures. Um, but these sorts of things are how Clojure has given us a lot of um, efficiencies mm-hmm. that go beyond what the, 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 the simplistic view of, of these implementations might imply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this sounds like, a, again, a very pragmatic approach of closure. Uh, I feel like in very a lot of places, progr- uh, closure is very pragmatic and the description of transients uh, sounds exactly like a programmatic approach to do those operations when you need to. Um, so maybe last question uh, before uh, we sort of like wind up. Um, understanding all of this data structure and the knowledge you want to share, like how do you feel this impacted your software development skills in like in your day-to-day work well it's been important for me in database development like Mm -hmm. asami and prior to that there was mulgara um, and takana knowledge store um, because these you know many of these data structures work just as well on disk as they do in memory Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was really important for me but um in terms of Efficiency in terms of understanding, you know, what's the best uh, algorithmic approach to something. Um, you know, using a sorted uh, array versus using a um, a tree with sorting in it. Um, these sorts of 
uh, operations give you different memory efficiency, give you different performance efficiency. Um, and knowing what these trade-offs are can be really important, especially when we're working with really large data sets. Mm -hmm. um, you know, understanding what we're doing with these data structures, knowing how that we build algorithms based on the data structures that we're using. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, can sometimes, you know, mean the difference between an operation that takes a half an hour versus one that takes a second. And there are occasions where, you know, looking at something that takes a long time and thinking, you know, what's going wrong here and what is a better way to do this uh, has allowed me to take, you know, 20-minute uh, operations and convert it into um, sub-second operations. Mm. Um, it's well, typically when it's going from 20 minutes, it'll come down to a couple of seconds, but you know, doing things the right way, understanding what you're doing and what's going on, how best to approach things, um, instead of just naively using um, an approach which, you know, might match what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, really understanding things and knowing the appropriate data structures to use or appropriate algorithms to use that, that match these data structures uh, can mean orders of magnitude difference in performance. Um, right. Less memory usage, um, faster speeds, um, and, you know, it'll have real-world effects in, uh, in your professional life. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, would there be anything else you would like to add? Um... Yeah, I'm thinking that if people are, are particularly interested in elements of the data structures and they want to come along and do this, um, if there's something that they don't think I'm going to be covering, if they could give me some uh, some notice saying that they'd, uh, they'd like to see something covered, I'd be willing to look into uh, adding those sorts of things to it. Um, we're going to have a pretty packed day, but I want people to come away with a greater sense of understanding of uh, this closure ecosystem uh, how the fundamentals of the, the language are built mm -hmm. so that they can get the most out of it. And, uh, you know, if I can um, give people what they're really looking for here, then that my job's going to be done. Right. Yes, fantastic. I'm really happy that you're doing this. Uh, you're such a humble person and also sharing your knowledge with everyone. I think it's fantastic. So anyone interested, uh, there's additional uh, discount coupon for listeners of the podcast. So just take a look uh, below in the show notes and uh, book your seats. The number of seats is limited. So uh, with that, Paula, thank you so much for taking time talking about data structures and I look forward to the workshop. You're welcome. And thank you, Jessica. Thank you. Thank you.